turn to Psalm 12 in your Bible, or if you have your bulletin electronically, by the way, the this, Lord willing, will be the last Sunday of electronic bulletins. We are going back to print bulletins next week. And everybody said? Amen. All right. Good. So uh, that will be an encouragement and a wonderful thing. The next question is, when do we get coffee? We'll let you know. We'll let you know. But we're in Psalm chapter 12. And um, if you would stand with me, I want to let you know that as we read through these short eight verses, Psalm 12 is actually a conversation between David and God. And as we read it, you'll see that in verses 1 through 4, David talks to God. Then in verses 5 and 6, David listens to God. And then in verses 7 and 8, David responds to what God says to him. So I want you to think about as we read this, what was the pressing need that led to this conversation between David and God? What did David want the people of God to do with the trouble that they found themselves in? So hear the word of the Lord, the word of the God who loves you. Psalm chapter 12. To the choir master, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Then the Lord speaks. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. You may be seated as I pray. Father, help us this morning to um, listen to what you have to say to your people. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take Psalm 12 and that you would encourage us by it. It's, it these are hard things to, to think about together, but uh, thank you for giving us the gift of a prayer that helps us express our own angst and anxiety and confusion and frustration with what's going on around us and in us and giving us words that help us to cry out to you for help, giving us words that assure us that you see and you will save. Uh, help us to trust you this morning because we have heard from you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Somebody help me. 
God, please help me. What would make you cry out for help like that? What would make you cry out for help like that? 24 years ago last night, 24 years ago last night, June 19th, 1997, my wife stood in our front yard and she screamed at the top of her lungs, somebody help me, God, please help me, over and over and over again. What, what made her do that? What made her do that? The house was on fire. And her skin was falling off of her legs and arms in sheets. She had dropped a pot of grease and it burned 38% of her body. She was in a place of desperate need. She called for help because she couldn't help herself. She knew that her own strength or wisdom or skill could not save her from this trouble. She was weak and needy. She was in desperate need for someone outside of her to help her. Psalm 12 is David's cry for help. That's how it begins. Save, O Lord. The Hebrew word translated as save is simply the word help. Help, Lord. Help. Israel's king, his His majesty, the warrior king, the one of whom women sang, David has slain his ten thousands, was out in the front yard screaming for help. What made him do that? It's because he he couldn't help himself. He knew that his own strength, his own wisdom, his own skill could not save him from the trouble he was in, that his people were in. He was desperate for someone outside of him to rescue him. And that's Psalm 12. So I wonder, what what was the trouble that made King King David so desperate for help? He said, this is the trouble, the godly one is gone, and the faithful have vanished From among the children of man, everyone utters lies to their neighbors, and with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. That's the trouble that made David cry out for help. His assessment of his cultural moment was devastating. Now, some say he may have been speaking in hyperbole, which when you're in trouble, you you may be prone to do, but but this is what David believed. He, He said there are few, if any, godly people left. That there are few, if any, who are faithful to God. The hearts of the people had grown cold toward God. And then what was in their hearts was coming out of their mouths. Everyone was uttering lies to his neighbor. No one had regard for truth in his day. They were speaking with flattering lips, and that's literally, it was smooth talk. It was like verbal cotton candy. It tasted good, but then it left you empty. There was nothing nourishing in this kind of talk. They spoke with a double heart. They were two-faced, or they spoke out of both sides of their mouth. They were hypocrites. 
This was the kind of talk that was going on, coming out of those hearts that had grown cold toward God. And then in verse 4, David explains what's really going on here. He says that what these folks are saying is, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. We've got quite an arsenal. Who is master over us? Who is master over us? The character of David's culture sounded very much like what we read in 2 Timothy 3 earlier. These people were lovers of self rather than lovers of God. That's the trouble that made David cry out for help. He looked around and he saw that godliness was being swallowed up by godlessness. And he doesn't hold back in verse 8 when he sums it all up by saying, vileness is exalted among the children of man. Any of this sound familiar to anyone? You know, what I love about this is we don't have to make the Bible relevant. (laughs) It is relevant. We just have to pay attention to it. It reads us. Let's be honest with ourselves. If David lived in America in 2021, he could write Psalm 12 verbatim and pray it verbatim, just as he did in his day. This is where it gets kind of hard. If we look around the American church today, doesn't it seem more and more that the godly are gone and that the faithful have vanished? How many family and friends do you know who have walked away, not just from the church, but from faith in Jesus altogether? And... and And can we blame them? Doesn't it break your heart to hear the stories of sexual abuse, child abuse, spousal abuse, spiritual abuse, abuse of power, obsession with money that is surfacing in churches and Christian organizations in our country? The godly are gone. The faithless, the faithful have vanished. There's a nationally known Bible-believing, gospel-loving Christian leader who, whose job is to think deeply about our culture and the American church, and he, he said this recently. He said, we now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, which in his definition means gospel-believing people like us walking away from it, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. He says, what happens when the people, when people reject the church because they think we reject Jesus and the gospel? He says, if people leave the church because they want to gratify the flesh with abandon, well, that's always been the case. But what happens when people leave because they believe the church exists to gratify their flesh? 
whether in orgies of sex or orgies of anger or orgies of materialism. That's a far different problem. And then he says, and what if people don't leave the church because they disapprove of Jesus, but because they've read the Bible and have come to the conclusion that the church itself would disapprove of Jesus? That's a crisis, he says. Are the godly gone? Have the faithful vanished? Many of our children and our grandchildren think so when they look at the church. And then we look around at the American culture in general. Does it, does it seem to you that more and more everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and double heart they speak? Listen to your favorite 24-7 news channel. Doesn't matter which persuasion it is. Listen to the podcast, the political podcast. Doesn't matter which persuasion it is. Listen to your music playlist. Binge watch your favorite TV and movies. Swipe through your social media. Every one of them utters lies. They flatter you and they say what, you, what they think you want to hear. They set your newsfeed algorithms to sell you their products and their lifestyle and their worldview. They make great boasts. We have our words and our keyboards, our media and our marketing savvy and our algorithms. Who is master over us? How are we supposed to know anymore who's telling the truth? I find myself responding to all of this, what's happening in the church and in the culture, in three different ways, not all at the same time necessarily. One is anger, just flat out anger and bitterness about all this stuff, some of which is justified. Anxiety, just start thinking, wow, what is going on? What is going on? And then sometimes just apathy. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to hear about it. There's nothing I can do about it. And I wonder, could the, there, there may be many other um, responses to what's going on uh, that you have, but are any of those, do those resonate with you? Are you angry? Are you anxious? Are you just apathetic? How should we respond? This, this is why I love the Bible so much. This psalm validates your struggle with what's going on in your world. With, with all that you see and hear around you. You don't have to look at this dumpster fire and say, eh, this is fine, everything's fine. You don't have to. The Bible gives you permission to be upset about it. But then God doesn't leave us there. He gives us a way to respond to what's going on around us and a way to feel about it. And so in the rest of the psalm, let's discover how David responded to what was happening so that we have some idea of how we can respond as well. What, how did David respond? What did he do? Three things. He prayed. 
first of all. He took all of his anger and his anxiety and probably some of his apathy. He took it to God. He talked to God about it, and he prayed in two kinds of ways. The first kind of prayer is, is called lament. It's, it's a form of grieving prayer. Um, you know, Nathan had us sing a lament this morning that had some minor keys in it. Almost half of the Psalms are laments. <laughs> Almost half of them would have probably been sung in what we would call a minor key. They're dark. They're hard. God's people frustrated with God, frustrated with themselves and the world, grieving, complaining, lament. And in Psalm 12, God has graciously given us a model for how to pray when we're angry and anxious and apathetic. In fact, David wrote this psalm, and you saw those little instructions that I read at the beginning of the psalm. He wrote it and then instructed the worship leaders to have the people sing it on a regular basis. It's, a, it's what scholars call a community lament. So what do we do? We pray. David prays. He laments and grieves over what's going on. And the other kind of prayer is petition, which means he just asks. He asks God for something. Rather than stay in his anger and anxiety and apathy, he goes to the one who can do something about it. And in verses 3 and 4, he asks God to intervene. He says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. He's saying, God, help us. So he laments, he grieves, and he asks. So David first prayed, he talked to God about what was going on, but then secondly, he listened to God's word. And notice that when he listens to God, verse 5 is God talking, God doesn't say anything new that he hasn't already said before. He says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. God's not saying anything he hasn't already said in his scriptures long before David got to this prayer. God is reminding David of his presence and his promise. He's saying, David, I see it. I see everything. I've got this. I've got you. I've got my people. I will protect my weak ones. That's what the word poor means. Uh, they're weak. I will protect my weak ones. I will protect my needy ones. They're safe with me. But then God doesn't tell David how he's going to do it. And he doesn't tell God, uh, David when he's going to do it. He just says, trust me, I will do this. And essentially, he's telling David, trust my word. I've said it, now trust it. And that's what verse 6 is all about. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Listen to me, David. Trust what I say. Unlike the words of the world around you, my words are pure words. That means they're clean. They're ceremonially clean. They're morally pure. Not the lies like you hear in your world. They're, they're like silver. They're precious words. They have worth and value. They're worth depending on. They're not cotton candy. They're not empty flattery. So don't listen to that. Listen to me. 
Trust me. And my words are purified seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. My words are perfect, David. They don't come from a double heart. They come from my pure, perfect heart. Listen to me. David, you're going to have to decide who you're going to listen to. You're going to have to decide whose word you're going to trust. My son, listen to and trust what you hear from me more than what you hear from anyone else. So David talked to God, then he listened to God's word, and then he trusted God, even if things were never going to change. Verses 7 and 8. You, O Lord, will keep them, the weak and needy he's talking about. You, O Lord, will keep them. I, I trust that. You will guard us from this generation forever, which means he's saying, we're weak and needy. And I trust that you're going to keep us and guard us like you promised. Even though on every side the wicked prowl as the vileness is exalted among the children of man. Okay, Lord, I I will trust your word that you will do what you've promised. You're not promising that things will get better but that you will be our place of safety no matter what. So now, here in 2021, we have a model for what to do in times like this. How to talk to God, how to listen to God, how to trust Him in the middle of a mess. But here's the good news. We're we're in an even better place than David was to practice these things. It was good for David to do those things, to talk to God, to listen to God, and to trust God. But we're in a better place to do it than he was because we're on this side of the cross and the empty tomb because we know how God kept that promise he made in verse 5. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to see the plight of his weak and needy people to arise and place them in the safety that their hearts long for. Jesus is the answer to that promise. He's the yes to that promise. And Jesus knows that we are weak and needy. He knows that our greatest weakness has been that we have not been godly and we have not been faithful. We too have used our words to get our own way. We're guilty of all those things that bother us about everyone else. David was guilty of all the things he was complaining about. We don't know when this was written in his life, but David was guilty of not being faithful to God. David sent a message. He sent words to the front line, to his commanders on the front line and said, you know that guy Uriah? Everybody pull back from him so that he will be dead. Why? So that he could cover up his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. David used his words to get his own way. We do it too. Jesus knows that about us. And still, because God loves us, Jesus arose from his throne in heaven. He put on human flesh and he came and he entered into this mess we've made. Jesus was godly in our place. Jesus was faithful in all the ways we weren't. And Jesus not only spoke pure and precious and perfect words, 
Jesus is God's precious, pure, and perfect word in the flesh. And if you'll put your trust in him as God's word made flesh, then Jesus will be God's word to you and for you and in you. You will be safe in him. There's no safer place to be. And so because of Jesus, we can do what David did with even more confidence than David had. Because of Jesus, we can pray. Because of Jesus, we can lament and we can ask. Jesus prayed this prayer all his life, Psalm 12. Nathan told us about that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus prayed this prayer. And I guarantee you, because the Bible says that Jesus is in heaven interceding, praying for us now, I bet he prays this prayer for us on our behalf to the Father. And so we can pray in him. We can join him in his lament over the condition of his church and of his world. And we can ask him to do something about it, things that we can't do, but he can. And to make it very practical, I want to invite you. There's a group of women who have been praying at 9.30 every Sunday morning. Um, Some here, but definitely they've committed to praying at 9.30 every Sunday morning for us, for our worship service. Um, If you want to be on the text list for that, ask my wife, Christine. She's the one who sends out a text every Sunday morning. Or just show up here at 9.30 Sunday morning, and I'll meet you here. And sometimes our elders are here uh, at least once a month. We're all here to pray. Let's pray, (laughs) y'all. Let's get together and pray at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. And ask God, grieve about what we're experiencing, and ask God to do something. And tell him that we'll trust him. So because of Jesus, we can pray, and because of Jesus, we can listen to God's words. You know, we read earlier from 2 Timothy chapter 3, but we didn't read this part. Paul goes on to say that in the last days, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, sounds like Psalm 12. And then he says to Timothy, but as for you, so what are you going to do, Timothy? The world is going from bad to worse. What are you going to do? He says, you continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, he says, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Timothy, no matter what's going on out here, go to the word of God and let it make you a man of God. And so this morning, as your pastor and your brother, let me ask you, whose voice is loudest in your ears and in your heart these days? Whose voice is loudest? Is it God's voice or is it the collective voice of our culture? 
Who do you need to stop listening to? Come, you know, if you want to know, you may say, I'm intimidated by the Bible. I, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, but it intimidates me. I don't understand it. Come, I will, I will help you. These elders that you see stand up here every Sunday, talk to one of them. We'll help you. There are men's groups meeting weekly, just reading through the Bible, trying to, trying to understand it. The women meet on Tuesdays. There are other opportunities. We'll help you. But let's listen to God's word together. And because of Jesus, we can trust God, even if things never change. David said at the end of Psalm 12, on every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. It's just like when Paul said, evil people will go on from bad to worse. But David trusted God's word that God would guard his people from this generation. And Paul told Timothy, as for you, no matter what they're doing, you continue in what you've learned and believed. Trust that the word of God that was breathed out for you um, will guard you and shape you, no matter what's going on in the culture, so that you can be a complete, mature, equipped man or woman of God for every good work. So that because of the Spirit of Jesus in you, you will become a godly person who has not gone away. You will become the faithful person who has not vanished from among the children of men. Recently, I, I asked a yard guy that I've seen mow and take care of my neighbor's yards. I look at their yards and I say, wow. <laughs> I look at mine and I say, wow. So I, I saw him one day and I said, how do you, how, what do you do? And so I hired him to do what he does to my yard. And one of the things that he does is that he did to my yard right away was, besides killing a bunch of weeds, which was most of the yard, he, he took lime, lime, you know, it's crumbled up limestone, and he spread it all over the lawn. And friends, after that first rain, and he fertilized it, after that first rain, my yard's never looked so good. And this still needs a lot of work, but it looks great. It's starting to flourish. And I wonder, what would it look like if Mountain Fellowship became the lime on Signal Mountain. You know why he spreads lime? He said the soil up here is so acidic, it kills everything that tries to grow in it. And friends, if we think the soil of the church and our culture is acidic, then because of Jesus, maybe we can be the grace of lime. <laughs> maybe because we trust him, and we listen to his words, and we start to speak his words to one another and to the people where we work and live and play and worship, maybe we can start to be the lime that uh, helps people on Signal Mountain flourish. But it starts with us repenting of the way we have not been godly or faithful the way we've used our words to get our way. And it starts with trusting that Jesus 
came to forgive us of all of, all of that and to make us gracious people. And so, friends, David is asking us to recognize that the house is on fire. David's asking us to come stand out in the front yard with him and cry for help. Help us, God. Help me. Because I see myself in those words. Help us. I see us in those words. So, Father, we cry out to you. Help. And we, we thank you, God, that in Jesus you've already answered our cry. You have come. You have arisen. And you have put us in Christ in the place of safety for which we long. And now... Not only can what's going, out, going on outside of us uh, hurt us or corrupt us, we actually get to become a, an influence on what's going on out there because of the Spirit of Christ who lives in us. Oh, God, would you do that with Mountain Fellowship? And would you start with me? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.